Previously on Story Logical. <laughs> it's been a long time since we did it. I don't think we know what we're doing anymore. My mic, my mic technique is just has all left me. That is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, ladies and gentlemen. He just walked through our flat. What? I wrote down that it was like being mown down by a high-speed rainbow. Did you say mallisk or mammoth? Mammoth. Okay. Mammoth. A little bit like a small mammoth. How does this work again? This is Storylogical, a podcast about amazing stories. That we kind of like. I'm Chris Camerud. And I'm E.G. Kosh. Uh, is there an orange country? Yeah, that's the one that she sleeps through. Oh, right. Yeah, that was the moment where she it's clear. Cad Valenti was like, this is getting too long and <laughs> just redundant. So let's sleep through this country rather than make up another random, somewhat superfluous culture for it. So the story we're going to talk about this week is, as you may have guessed, The Long Good Night of Violet Wilde. Wait, is it The Long Good Night or The Long Goodbye? Yeah, The Long Good Night. Yeah, The Long Goodbye is a book by Raymond Chandler, yeah. in which, so far which as I know, uh, while amazing, I don't know that anyone says goodbye for any longer than the normal amount of time that people <laughs> say goodbye. It's all pretty regular. Violet Wilde, uh, she lives in the purple country, and the boy who she loves, Orchid Harm, is killed by the infinite squirrels of space and time when they attempt to cross the border into the blue country. Now, do you believe the squirrels are infinite, or just space and time are infinite? I think both, because the squirrels do contain space and time within them, and they give their, birth to tomorrow. In their paradoxical pregnant bellies. Yeah, in their tummies. And instead of getting over it or pining away, she goes on an adventure and crosses the countries that fulfill all of the colours of the rainbow, or at least some of them, according to Chris. Well, yeah, there's no indigo. She <laughs> doesn't go through the country of indigo, nor does she go through the country of violet. She just but eventually, eventually she gets to the red country, which is her destination, um, because that's where apparently some people go when they die, but they're not quite dead. Well, it's the place that you go when you want to say everything that you mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, how can you be more dead than someone who means exactly what they say all the time? I don't know. And that's why the stories there look so sad. Yeah, yeah. Because the stories have to say what they mean. What kind of ridiculous story says what it means? So this is... Uh, I guess I, I want to start in the place, for those who haven't read it yet, it is crazy ass weird. It is like Lewis Carroll trying to give you a guided tour of a Salvador, Salvador Dali painting. It is wonderful and bright and exciting in the way that ideas and emotions are made into beasts and friends and music and strange emperors that can appear in anything that you own in your house. Um, and yeah, all through it, this incredible loss that Violet has, this incredible sadness that she has and is made into a beast called a sorrow that looks a little bit like a small mammoth. Um, all through it, you never fall, you never lose that, that thread of her desire and her, her hope for finding Orchid, this boy that she loved, and that they, the boy that she kissed until they knew exactly what each other were thinking. And it's very sweet underneath all of the crazy talk the uh that pain that holds it together uh, i was thinking about uh, john gardner who's this old novelist guy he wrote a book oh the art of fiction and something he talked a lot about was uh, fiction being a sustained dream and he didn't want to say anything in your story that would wake people up and one of the things that i love about this story is the sustainment of the vision where emotions transformations scientific concepts are are rendered into the world in a way that is uh, surprising. And so every sentence, you're often given a gift in the story of a new way of seeing something. Uh, even with all of that work going on, the, the vision of the story says 
consistent and compelling, and you never really wake up from it. You'll wake up from it only in the sense that you know your brain wakes up every sentence because the story is like bam, bam, bam. You're you're not really allowed to fall out of the dream, which is part of the joy. To me, reading it, it is like reading Lewis Carroll a bit or reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The whole thing feels a bit like a game. It's a puzzle for me to unlock, but because no matter how crazy it is to me, that there is. There's a logic to it. There's a sense to it. There's something there yeah. that I'm enjoying reading and pulling out of it. I wrote down that it was like being mown down by a high speed rainbow because because it was like, really the, violent. The, it was super violent, right? The 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 squirrels in particular were the source of a lot of the violence, and they slashed each other to pieces. They slashed. Yeah, there was one bit where it talks about cutting cutting another one to ribbons. They you know what else? Ate orchid harm while she was still trying to kiss him. I mean. Some pretty dark stuff. Now, what else? Uh, it also says the words tits and shit. Not quite together. No, not quite together. But, you know, in the same way you're describing that it's dark and violent, a part of me read that and it's like, that is that is a mode I'm now familiar with, that you give me crazy, weird... No, well, no that's not, I'm not going to go into crazy weird. You give me super numinous, uh, fluctuating reality, and then you also give me super dark violence. It's something I'm familiar with. It's something that I've, I've gotten from Cat Valenti before that combined though with like tits and shit is what felt kind of fun to me because that's not something that exists in lewis carroll or hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy there isn't the same sense of uh bodily reality that there is in this story yeah and that pairs with something that this kind of very pragmatic lancing of any pretentiousness that that might build up from this deeply rich world of color and craziness that she's building you might start to think oh is she being super pretentious what's happening and then she she describes this radio tune that the uh, pop tune that the emperor wrote as being only middling as far as radio hits go and peppered throughout the whole thing are these little sentences that undercut the the wild and wacky adventure nature of it and yet i still feel emotionally kind of true and resonant uh, there's two things one it's just amusing to me that she's from the purple country and so the way the purple country works is if you write a perfect amazing sentence you give birth to a child but like you say right there is a there's a pragmatic a sarcastic a kind of cynical tone to the narrator as she as she pushes on through i made me think about how uh, it made me think about how a lot of stories considered absurdist like hitchhikers or like alice in wonderland right lewis carroll was specifically doing mathematical and logical puzzles in alice in wonderland and i realized just in terms of contrast right we love we love stories that contain their opposite we love sketches that have very bright and very dark it, it feels very compelling to us mm-hmm. and i was like oh of course like the greater the romance, the deeper the cynicism that cuts through it, and that the greater uh, the greater absurdism that you have in your story, the more powerful the logic that rules it. And that is deeply in this story in a way that it, it's delightful to me. It also gives it uh, this amazing shading. So, like, there's one place in the story where father is describing some aspects of stories, and he says, "Stories have no natural defense against comets." Now, that, that, is, that is, you know, it's absurd. It doesn't make it, why would you know nothing? But in the story, it makes perfect logical sense because in one of the countries, the blue country, stories are dinosaurs. Um, and comets are a thing that might happen to them. And that is part of my delight of, of absurdity that understands that truth, that you need to have a more powerful logic than a more realistic story, almost as though it's only in a really absurd story that we can believe in this amount of logic. Part of that structure and logic that... 
underpins it is the chorus that she sets up that in the purple country love means this in the rev in the red country love means that and i was chris is pointing at something really small in his notebook because i i've written down in the purple country love means that you killed the person in the red country love means longing in the blue country it means you want to eat them in the green country it means that you want to keep them warm even if you have to bathe them in your own blood in the yellow country love means you cannot stand the sight of them yeah and and these these comments are interspersed sometimes as warnings sometimes as advice sometimes as, as commiseration. And so as she goes on her journey, Violet picks all of these things up and kind of turns them over and examines them and decides which bits to keep and which bits to reject. And I love, I love how that builds into this kind of crescendo for her. I was uh, reading Chuck Palahniuk's Palahniuk, how do I say his name? Uh, I say Palahniuk. Chuck Palahniuk. 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 Chuck, I was reading Chuck Palahniuk's essays on writing the other day and he has a whole one around choruses and and what they mean and how useful they are like in fight club i am jack's unrelenting raging bile raging bile yeah he, he is jack's, jack's failing liver all sorts of jack things that belong to jack and the power of bringing the audience in and connecting them moment to moment strung through the story i loved it yeah yeah, yeah. it's part of the thing that gives it that uh, sustain means sustain that yeah, sustainment of vision. No matter how different the world she goes through, there's always this thread that we can follow. Uh, I mean, really, you can learn a lot just by studying the old myths and see the way it works. Like, oh, you go into a labyrinth, you need to have a ball of yarn. If you're writing a story, it's helpful to give the reader a ball of yarn. It doesn't matter what crazy maze you build up around it. If they have this tiny string, they'd be like, it's fine, I got this tiny string with me, nothing can go wrong. Um, one thing that was interesting to me, uh, as you know, you've, we, we've both mentioned Alice in Wonderland, is that in this story, there's no Alice. And like in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there's Arthur. There's no Arthur here. In Gulliver's Travels, yeah, you, have no Gulliver, you have no Gulliver here. Yeah, and yeah, so there's no outsider. It is though you're being taken around Wonderland by like the daughter of the Red Queen. Oh, yeah, so, I, so it, it, it's what I think begs the need for like that love thing, but also allows the love thing like Alice in Wonderland is not really a great story to read to understand um, how to put it all the different facets of human emotion it's an interesting story to me to read like and I get excited because it's 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 a way of understanding madness and and all kinds of things like that uh well yeah in this story there is no that but but on the other hand it means kind of in a sense there's no Jabberwocky there's no Red Queen. There's no nothing. There is no kind of, other than the squirrels, there is no inherent danger to me in the story. Yeah, I suppose the squirrels do represent a fair bit of danger in killing her. They do, but I don't ever feel she's threatened. Whereas all those other things That's I mentioned true. threaten, they either threaten Alice or they threaten Gulliver. I never felt that Violet was, that her life was in danger. Her no, I, think, I feel like the biggest threat to Violet in this story is that she doesn't understand that her sorrow is kind of parasitical and that it keeps opening up her wounds to suckle on her blood. And that Does that long... happen in the story? Yeah. Okay. It isn't I don't think it uses the word suckle, but to lick her lick the blood out. Um and that oh, and that yeah. in some ways her sorrow you know, her sorrow the personification of it is stopping her healing and stopping her getting over yeah, but I will, the story gives you both sides of sorrow. I don't think you're meant to read the story 
I certainly don't read the story and think that she doesn't understand sorrow as a parasite and she needs to get rid of it. Partly because the story gives you the ordinary emperor, who you're set up not to like, who spent his time destroying sorrow. And partly because um, the whole story happens. The whole reason she goes on the journey is because of her sorrow. And it's made literal at times in the story because she rides the sorrow to mm-hmm. the next place. Mm-hmm. So she would not have any momentum. She would have no chance for transformation without this. Uh, it made me think of singing my sister down and how the character, the boy at the end of that story, he doesn't understand anything anymore. And you know he's going to have to come to terms with that. And that's the place this story starts, more or less, is she loses her love very early. Mm -hmm. And she no longer knows what words mean. So like she goes to each of these countries and love no longer means what it meant to her before because she suffered this sorrow. And so, well, just to give you one more Star Wars reference because we're back and we've been gone for a while. It's just the same as like Aunt Peru and, and Uncle Owen dying. Like you, you got to have that sorrow to push you out into the world. And at some point yeah, you have to let go it. of it. But yeah, yeah, that to me was the power. Yeah, she harnessed it. Um, I'm going to read you. I mean, there's so many, so many sentences I could read out of this story. So beautiful, so rhythmical. Um, but I'm going to read this one, which is from pretty early on. And when the sunset slung itself against all those bright glass doors, the bluffs just turned into a glitter one firework and everyone went staggering home with lavender light stuck to their coats. I got myself born like everybody else in P-Town. Mummery wrote a perfect sentence, so perfect and beautiful and fabulously punctuated, that when she finished it, there was a baby floating in the ink pot. And that was that. Like Words are like containers to me. They hold meaning. And throughout the story, it feels almost like you're taking these containers and throwing them against the wall, and they shatter. And then she puts them back together in a new way. So you're constantly losing a sense of meaning and gaining a sense of meaning while you're reading it, which to me is is really cool, both as a reader, also as somebody that has suffered sorrow in life. Like That's sort of the process of moving forward from pain, is losing and regaining. And I, I feel woken up by this story to the beauty and potential of words and of sentences and what they can do and like and like I want every sentence that that I say not to be like this because I feel like the day would last quite a long time be quite difficult to get my work done also you would need to write like your story would need to be this kind of story yeah but but I feel like I want an echo of it in everything an echo of that energy and that uh, dismantling of assumptions and right. meaning. Yeah, that's the first step. You've 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 got to unlearn what you've learned. You got to strip all the meaning from things. Love can't mean what you've thought it meant. Thanks for listening, readers. As always, we have probably not managed to talk about every story that you've loved this week, or even said all of the things uh, about these stories that you wanted to say. Uh, so you can send us your recommendations on Twitter. Your recommendations or thoughts. All thoughts. Yeah, we're open to thoughts. We're at Storylogical, which is story, like the word. Oh, like the letter. And logical, like Plato. This podcast is brought to you only by our love of short stories. So if you would like to support us, then please, please head over to iTunes and leave us a lovely review. And that will help other people find us we'll help other people find us you can also just grab your closest story obsessed friend slash stranger on the street and whisper in their ear story illogical <laughs> and then run away i don't want to be implicated in any stalking crimes i don't want to be implicated in any like weird creepy crimes this is not stalking this is whispering in someone's ear and running away okay
It's different. Uh-huh. You can follow her on Twitter at E.G. Kosh. And you that can is A with a little circly thing around it and then a bunch of letters. And you can follow him on Twitter at Kubals. And for show notes, appropriate gifts, links to past episodes, and a chance to subscribe to this podcast, you can always find us at our home on the web. Storylogical.com. Thanks for listening, readers. Happy reading. What, what would you say to Jaylev if he strolled in here right now? I don't, I don't know. Why would I have something? I mean, the most obvious question to ask would be something about Zoe Deschanel, but I don't know in particular. Um, what does her hair smell like? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> I, that is, yeah, that's good, yeah.